Now, I want to just invite you to stand with me if you're able, please. Stand up if you would. And uh, have a stretch. Have a little stretch. Just go on. You don't have to, but it's a good idea. I've got this new exercise video coming out. So, um, And before I read to you, I want to just make a little statement. You see, I believe the Holy Spirit is a choreographer. The Holy Spirit sets things up. And uh, Steve and Angie and the team here, when they invited Kanai to come, they said, they didn't ask me to speak to a theme. They just said, bring whatever you feel God wants you to bring. And so I'm going to talk to you today about how to change the world by tomorrow, and that's about generosity. And I want you to know that in this service, you've heard a lot about vision giving and about compassion. You've heard a lot about money, and you might be thinking, oh, there's a lot of talk about this. Sometimes in our culture, we struggle with that. But I want to say, if we struggle... Don't get upset with me or Steve, just blame God, because I think God has set something up here. So I want to read to you uh, from 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. Listen to what Paul says to young Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's what we're going to look at. Before we do that, turn around and say hello to those two or three people behind you that you've been avoiding so far this morning. Just go ahead, say a quick hello. All right, have a seat, if you would. Have a seat. Well, two years ago, uh, Ken and I were here with you, I believe at Easter time. I shared a little story then, which I'd like to share again today, uh, because it, it kind of really applies to what I'm teaching about. We were, I think it was four or five years ago, Ken and I were heading out of town towards Colorado Springs, Colorado Springs Presbyterian Church, where I was due to be speaking at a Christmas event. We're, we're driving along happily, and uh, suddenly we hit a rock, a stone or something in the road, and the car started to sway out of control because we had burst uh, a tire on this rock. I finally pulled the car safely to the side of the road, turned to Kay and said, praise the Lord, darling, for this Wonderful opportunity to rejoice in the Lord in these minor tribulations. Amen and amen, she said, as she handed me my tambourine. And we sat there and shared a rendition of Kumbaya together. How many know that's not true? I, I said, oh, grief, we've got a burst tire. I got out the car just to check, and indeed the diagnosis was correct. We had a burst tire. Now, I am practically useless. I'm no good at fixing stuff. Uh, anytime I tried to put shelves up or fix something in our home when our kids were growing up, they would gather together for a family time of intercessory screaming. I'm just, I'm just no good at that stuff. So I said to Kay, look, you know I'm rubbish at fixing things. It's not going to end well. So you fix the tire, and I'll sit here and prayerfully support you. 
No, I didn't say that either. I said, let's call the breakdown people. So we called the breakdown people, and the man finally came out in his breakdown van, and he looked at our tire, and he said, no worry, Mr. Lucas, I can change this tire, but the, this is a fairly dangerous spot that you've chosen to have a burst tire. I'm like, what do you mean, chosen? Anyway, it's fairly dangerous. The traffic is quite fast, so he said, could you try and slow the traffic down? Well, I'm like, you know, I haven't got a spare set of traffic lights in the back of the motor. And I don't have a sign that says slow down. So I thought, I've got to be creative. So you, know, you might want to take this as a little tip in case this happens to you. I stood about 10 meters from where the car was. And he's fixing the tire. And I'm standing there using the international sign for slow down, which goes like this. It was amazing, ladies and gentlemen, to see the reaction of people as I stood there doing this. Some were bewildered that there was this weird bloke worshipping them from the side of the road. <laughs> Others were somewhat arrogant in their response. They punched the accelerator and speeded up. Some of them waved. Some of them shook their fists. Some of them honked their horns. Some of them shared a gesticulation unfamiliar in Christian circles. What was going on there? I'm saying, please slow down. And they're saying, it's my road. It's my car. You get in my way, I break in your face. Don't take what is mine. I think it is possible to live a life like that, where we constantly live to grab rather than give. We have the horrendous export of Black Friday, the ugly sight of mutant ninja shoppers slapping each other for a cheap telly. But you don't have to be an aggressive Black Friday shopper to be tight and to be mean. We've all met people like that. You know, you go out for coffee. You go out for coffee. And they always make sure that you go through the door of the coffee shop first because that means that you will arrive at the counter first and you will pay. It's amazing. It takes work, but it can be done. Those people that you go to lunch with, and always, whenever the bill is about to arrive, they need to use the bathroom, amazingly, at that time. And they return to discover with great surprise that you have paid the bill. Oh, did you do that? Oh, thank you. What do you mean, thank you? You planned it. Living tight. And we can almost think that the more we gather, what is it that the t-shirt says? He who ends up with the most toys wins. It's a lie. And the notion that with accumulation that we can somehow just declare this is the life, it's a lie. You see, the Apostle Paul is saying here, no, 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 this is the life. The life of open-hearted, open-handed generosity. The Bible is not against money. The Bible is against putting trust in money. Jesus made it very clear that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. It's not where life comes from. Paul talks here about wealth that is so uncertain, talking about the tenuous fragility of stuff. And the reality is that living a life to grab actually makes you miserable. It's a Dickensian word. It's one that you don't hear very often these days. But the word miser, miser used of Scrooge in the famous story, comes 
from the root word miserable. Scrooge was miserable and found joy as he became a giver. And in fact, a survey has been taken, a secular survey called the Paradox of Generosity. It is a proven, empirically tested fact that people who live generously are more likely to live longer, more healthily, more happily than those who just life live life grabbing. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe this morning is a Holy Spirit setup. I believe this morning is about prophetic encouragement to you as a church in all that you have done, in all that you are doing, and all that you will do. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is maybe not whispering, but shouting again the clarion call for us, for you, for me, to give, to live generously all the days of our lives, to keep going with this. So what can we, what can we learn as we... Uh, we reflect on this together. Number one, point number one, generosity models God's heart and character. Generosity models God's heart and character. You see, God is a giver. In fact, God is the giver. In verse 17, Paul says, God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Oh my goodness, did you hear that? God wants you to enjoy what you have. That's contradictory to some Christians I've met. You ever met miserable Christians? They're, they're sort of the frozen chosen. They're sort of saved eternally but mildly constipated in the meantime. I had a bloke come up to me in one church. He said, we don't have fun here. We have joy. I took one look at him. I thought, you haven't got either one, mate. We met those Christians. They've got joy, but it's really deep. It is subterranean. You'd have to have a nuclear explosion to get that joy out. God wants you and me to be able to enjoy his blessing because he is, he's a giver. The giver, James chapter 1 verse 5. He gives generously to all. Romans 8.32. God spared not, only, not, not his only son, but delivered him up for us all. And then he says, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, celebrates this truth. He says that God lavished his grace upon us. We know the verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he... And so let's be grateful. Let's enjoy what God has given. Let's, let's be thankful. I mean, let's give thanks for food, for example. It's a bit awkward, isn't it? Let's face it. You go out with Christians and you think... You go to a restaurant and you think, is this... A, is this couple that I'm out with, is this person I'm with, are they a person that says grace? It's horrible when they want to sing a hymn too. <laughs> and you sit there and you sort of pick up the fork tentatively because no prayer has been mentioned and they look at you like, burn the witch. <laughs> Step away from that sausage, sir. We've not given thanks for it yet. Can be a bit awkward, this grace thing. Uh, it's an old story, but I heard a story about a couple... Uh, they had some Christian friends come over for, for dinner. And you know, family people here, you know what it's like when Christians from the church come over to your house? You want to impress them with your perfect kids, don't you? Your children are fluorescent. They glow in the dark. They are constantly begging to be excused that they might go and complete their homework. 
They say things like, oh, what a joy it was to read Leviticus this morning. And so you want to impress your friends. So, um, so the mother of the household, she said to little Jimmy, I don't know how old he was, but they, she said to Jimmy, said, Jimmy, give thanks for us. Because, you know, you want to impress your friends that your kids are prayerful. Give thanks for us. And Jimmy said, no. God bless Jimmy. She said, oh, she laughed nervously. Oh, come, come now, Jimmy. Come on, please. Just, just say a prayer. Give, give thanks for us. Jimmy said, no. She said, Jimmy, just go ahead and say what Daddy said at breakfast this morning. And Jimmy closed his eyes and bowed his head and said, oh, God, we've got those awful people coming for dinner tonight. <laughs> Awkward. Awkward. However you do it, let's be thankful. G.K. Chesterton said, you say grace before meals. Listen to this. He said, I say grace before the concert and the opera. I say grace before the play and the pantomime. I say grace before I open a book and grace before sketching or painting or swimming or fencing or boxing or walking or playing or dancing and grace before I dip the pen in ink. I want to live like that. Thankful to God, enjoying his blessing. But I don't want to be someone who just takes you see, we want to be like him. We want to reflect him. When I became a Christian at the age of 17, back in 1832, we said things like this. We said, don't look at us. Look at Jesus. There's a couple of problems with that. First of all, number one, Jesus is currently invisible. Secondly, God has always intended that we be a beacon people that demonstrate his character. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, give secretly, pray secretly. And then a few sentences later, he says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Make your mind up. But one's about motive. The other is about mission rooted in goodness. When Paul says here, command them to do good, the only other time that phrase is used in the New Testament, it's used of God in Acts chapter 14. If we want to turn the hearts and heads of the world, live generously. How did the early church get the word out? They didn't have Facebook. How many Facebookers have we? What a glorious thing this is, the opportunity to take a photograph of your breakfast and share it to the amazement of the watching world. No Facebook, no email, no printing press, no buildings, no infrastructure. They're thought of as a cult. How did they do it? Well, you might say miracles, and there were some of those. But they also did it through everyday acts of radical generosity. Back then in the culture, Roman culture practiced something called liberates. It goes like this. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. If you've got something you can give me down the line, I'll give to you because there'll be a payoff eventually. Work really well unless you were a widow or an orphan. The early church came along and they shattered that. And they looked for sweaty feet to wash. And they stayed behind in plague-ridden cities. And they gave their lives to people who were dying. And they turned the attention of the world. They grabbed that attention. Andy Stanley says they were impossible to ignore. We're going through a phase with this in our church in, in Colorado. We've just spent a couple of months thinking about generosity. And this is not pay it forward, by the way. Pay it forward is great. But this is not 
This is not giving with expectation. You've got to do something. This is just giving. So we've had, we had a local restaurant, and we've had other reports too, of restaurant owners saying, what's going on? Because we keep getting all these people who come in, and they pay for the meals of complete strangers. They said we had one day where people did it so much, there was money left over at the end, and we had to go up to a table and say, we've got a surplus, your meal's free. <laughs> How amazing would that be? If hundreds of believers in Cambridge and the vicinity were released this week to random acts of generosity and kindness, we demonstrate God when we're generous. Secondly, secondly, generosity refuses fear and expresses faith. When we're being generous, it's not just Christian do-goodism. It's an act of faith. Verse 17 talks about putting our hope in God. Fear is, is massive at the moment, isn't it? It's, it's like the news every day. North Korea firing another missile yesterday. What's going to happen? And you've got America talking to North Korea, the possibility that two men with possibly the worst hairstyles in the world could start the Third World War. I can't believe I just said that. But then again, I did say it in the first service. We're afraid. And Jesus says, do not fear. Which is inspirational and mildly irritating. What do you mean, do not fear? It's, when he says it, he assumes that it's not inevitable. We have been conditioned by our culture to believe that we must bow to the Goliath that is fear. It is not true. At the end of the first service, I met a lovely young lady who told me that before she found Jesus in C3 two years ago, she could hardly step outside her house. Just 45 minutes ago, I sat out there hearing her story of how Jesus has shattered fear in her life. A face lit up, marvelous. Jesus gave lots of commands. It's been said 125. 21 of them were about fear. The next, the next number to that is eight times Jesus commanded that we love God and love our neighbor. Jesus spoke more about fear than he did even about loving God and our neighbor. When we're generous, we're saying, I refuse to live in fear with this open-handed attitude. Thirdly, number three, Generosity is about life and not just stuff. Life and not just stuff. In verse 18, Paul calls us to be rich in good deeds. It is about stuff, but it's not just about stuff. Do you know one of the greatest, most generous things you can do? Listen. Listen to people. It's quite rare. Do you know, it's quite rare even in the church. Kay and I travel very widely. One of the reasons, and I'm not, I'm not just saying this because I'm standing on this platform. One of the reasons that we do really enjoy coming here is not just because our friendships with Steve and Angie. It's just that when they ask us how we're doing, we get the impression that they want to know. And that's quite rare. Have you ever had there where someone says, how are you doing? And you start to tell them, and you can almost sense this, talketh to the hand, if you will. 
because they're not really interested. Listening, encouraging. It's all part of generosity. We've got two grandkids. We are those obsessive grandparents who are completely infatuated with their grandchildren. I'm sorry. I never thought I would become one of those, and I have succumbed. Stanley, he's eight. Stanley said to me recently, he said, Granddad, he said, you make me laugh in ways that I don't make me laugh. Bless my day. Alex, he's five. Kay was playing a video game with Stanley recently, a Wii or something, and all I can do is that. It's just, you know, international sign of whatever. And she's doing this, and she wasn't very good at it, because um, I think children are actually born these days with an ability to mess with phones and play video games. They used to have the midwife smack their backside, but now they just hand them a phone and say, how are you going to do with that? It's amazing. Well, Kay wasn't doing very well, and, she, and, and Stanley said, Grandma, he said, uh, he said, you're at the bottom of the list. You know, there's a chart, with the scores. He said, you're at the bottom of the chart, Grandma. And Alex walked across and grabbed Kay's arm, and he said, Grandma, you'll always be at the top of my list. <laughs> Come on, baby. <laughs> it's happened again today. I've walked in here since being here, and I can't wait to share the details with Kay later. I've had two people prophesy over me. Now, that used to happen a lot, and sometimes it wasn't always great. Do you know what I'm saying? When people come up with completely incomprehensible, weird prophecies. Jeff, I've got a picture of a yellow jellyfish. And, yes, he's tap dancing on a tin of ambrosia creamed rice. And he is whistling, I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. And then they look at you and they go, does that mean anything to you? And you think, yeah, call the NHS helpline. You know, this is awkward. Since being here today, I have had two thoughtful, caring people who prayed about it and have brought me, us, prophetic words of encouragement. See, we drove here today and we, we prayed in the car that we'd be a blessing and that, and that God would help us to bring strength. But, but look at you folks. You've energized us. And as we worship together and we sing our songs and we pray our prayers because we believe in gathered church, we recalibrate ourselves to the purposes of God. But encouragement and blessing... What about just giving people a break? I was, um, I was in the supermarket recently, and I went to the eight-item line. Do you know what I'm talking about? Baskets only. It's very clear. Baskets only. Eight items or less. And I'm standing there. You've done this, haven't you? I can tell. I can tell. And you sense the person in front of you is an evildoer. You sense it. You don't just sense it by revelation. You're counting. <laughs> they have got 12 items. 23 if you count the dozen eggs. <laughs> and you, everything in you wants to say, this person should be taken and flogged. It's giving people a break. 
paying for the coffee of the stranger behind you and not saying anything, but just walking away. It's amazing what we can do. And it's so simple. Well, the last thing is this. Number four, generosity calls us to embrace responsibility and to respond. It calls us to embrace responsibility and respond. The language that Paul uses here is doing language. He says, in this way, verse 19, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Not, by the way, salvation by works, but the recognition that what we do here has repercussion and reward in eternity. And then he says, take hold of the life that is truly life. This is doing stuff. 2 Corinthians 8, now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Paul is saying to the contentious Corinthians, keep doing this. Can I, can I just say something to you as an outsider, but as a friend to this church? Well done. Well done. Because you've not just been momentary, enthusiastic givers. But as the journey has unfolded, you have consistently, steadfastly given. Well done. Here's what I really love about you folks. You refuse to believe in giving only. What do I mean by that? Well, it's, it's possible to have a theory of giving. Yeah, we believe in generosity. Yeah, we're going to get around to it eventually. It's called post-dated commitment. And you can almost seduce yourself into thinking that because you believe in it, you're doing it. You haven't done that. You've actually delivered. It can be difficult to practice this. Self doesn't die without screaming. Recently, we were on a motorway somewhere in England, and we pulled into one of those motorway services, and we went to one of those phone shops. I don't know, we needed a, something, I can't remember what it was, and there's a nine-year-old serving people. And we're waiting patiently in line, and this couple, we're waiting there for five or ten minutes or so in line, and this couple just walked in straight in front of us. and I, I turned into Victor Meldrew. You know, Victor? Some of you are going, where in the Bible is Victor Meldrew? He's not. He's not. I'm like, don't believe it. And Kay, my lovely wife, turned to me and she said, Jeff, you've been preaching this stuff about generosity. I said, yes, indeed. She said, well, now's a great opportunity to practice what you preach. Thank you, darling, I said, for that joyous exhortation. Let's do it. Let's not just believe in it. And let's keep practicing this. The band are going to come back. Louise is going to play keyboard for us. And as they do, and before we pray, I would like, if I may, to in just a minute or two, tell you the story of one of the most generous people I've ever met. I know it's quite a poignant story for me because Kay and I just came back from America a few days ago and part of our purpose in being there was to have a farewell, a farewell dinner with our friend, our friends Milton and Barbara. When we, um, just play for us if you would, that would be great. When we um, 
when we first moved to America back in the 80s, uh, we were bewildered. It, we love America, but people drove on the different side of the road. The language meant different things, money. It was a real challenge. And we met Milton and Barbara. Milton's from the deep south. He, he, he looks like a little bit like that bloke out of Kentucky Fried Chicken, you know. And he's got this lovely accent, southern drawl. And Milton and Barbara opened, opened doors for us. They're door openers. They opened the doors of their home. We lived with them for a while. They helped us financially. We didn't have anything. They opened their friendship circle to us. They opened their church to us. They are door openers. They, our kids, their grandparents were 6,000 miles away, so they became surrogate grandparents. They renamed our kids. Milton called our daughter Kelly Lady Fawn because she's gracious. And, and he called Richard Sir Fox. They made such an impact on us. A few weeks ago, I don't know, six weeks ago, we got a phone call from a mutual friend, Milton's doctor. Milton had asked him to call us. He'd just been, been given the diagnosis that he just has a few weeks to live. Now you say, well, don't you believe in healing? Yeah, I do. But sometimes we Christians never get to say goodbye because we're so dogmatic that a person is going to be healed that we lose the opportunity to face a reality. Jesus said goodbye to his friends at the Last Supper and a few hours later in Gethsemane said, can this cup pass away from me? He said goodbye and he said, is there any chance of another way? The two are not in contradiction. It's a very simple way of approaching suffering. So I got on the phone to Milton, wondering what to say to him and he said, don't worry, Brother Jeff. Always calls me Brother Jeff. He said, we're good here. We're good. He said, in eternity, there's no time. So he said, we'll all, we'll all be together again soon. And he said, um, he said, when I get to heaven, he said, I'll keep the door open for you. I don't think St. Peter is intimidated. He opened doors in life. And he's going to open doors all the way till he dies. So just a few days ago, we went to their home. We had three and a half amazing hours. We laughed at death. It's such a hilarious time. I'm thinking, this is the last supper for us. This is wrong. And at the end of our time, uh, I felt prompted, I believe, by the Lord to say, Milton, can I would like your blessing? You've always blessed us. And we knelt before him and he placed his hands on our head and spoke words of grace and encouragement. And I'm waiting for the call because it won't be long now unless Jesus does something different. Milton's a door opener in life and a door opener all the way. C3, your door openers in your generosity. Well done. Keep going. In Jesus' name. Let's pray.
I invite you just to open your hands in front of you. Everything we have is yours, Lord. It comes from you, but you invite us to give it to be available to those moments in the coffee shop, to listen, to bless. So we pray for two things. We pray for a, even a greater increase in a culture of encouragement and generosity. That we might this week be ambassadors of generosity in this city and the surrounding area. And we dare to believe as well, Lord, and ask you for an increase even in the shared responsibility and privilege of giving in the local church here. We thank you that we gather here today and all around us is a tangible expression of what happens when your people put their shoulder to the wheel of the vision. This building is not the vision, but it's a great tool of the vision. Thank you for what has happened. We pray for an increase. We pray for even greater provision. And we pray that in the days ahead, there will be a liberation to respond to every opportunity that is presented here. I invite you just to take a few seconds before Steve comes back up to dismiss us. I invite you just to keep your hands open we're thinking about generosity just to say to God what you'd like to say to God